The Business of Cambridge. Series 1, Episode 10, Sustainability. Hi and welcome to The Business of Cambridge and this is the last episode in Series 1. Today's topic is something that's really at the forefront of our minds like never before and that's how to run a sustainable business. Customers are demanding less packaging, we're becoming really conscious about food miles and we're looking around us and thinking how environmentally friendly is our workplace. If you're a business owner, it can be really tough knowing what to do for the best, which processes you should change, which ones are going to have the most positive impact and of course how you're going to pay for all of this stuff. Thankfully, I've got two guests with me today who know all about sustainability and have got lots of expertise to share. Dr Jessica Ocampos is the founder and CEO of CamNexus. Hi Jessica. Hello, thanks so much. <laughs> CamNexus, you're a platform for businesses to manage water and energy and other resources. So can you tell me a bit more about the company and the kind of businesses that you work with? Well, CamNexus is a startup of the University of Cambridge. We initially started this as an idea to bridge the gap with developing countries, particularly in the innovation capacity. So we realized that we have a lot of capability. And actually, being in Cambridge, we are in one of the places where we can we have access to a lot of uh, cutting-edge technology and knowledge. So through our company, we are developing solutions that uh, provide uh, IoT or digital infrastructure to support the development of uh, local capability and uh, for efficient management of the resources, particularly water, energy, and other key assets. In that context, our main clients or Consumers are people from the uh, agriculture area, from the water utilities, and also we're looking for industries in general. And you also cross paths with our other guest today, Dr. Shima Barakat, Director of the Entrepreneurship for Sustainability Programme at the University of Cambridge. Hi, Shima. Hi, Sue. Are you working in a similar area? What's your particular bit of expertise? My work revolves around supporting uh, businesses like Jessica's from the time the Jessica's of this world start to get a twinkle in their eye that entrepreneurship might be for them. They might be interested in setting up a business. They think they have an invention and the education, training and support program that goes alongside with that up until they start up and then we support their acceleration until they raise their first significant round of funding. And so the first thing I'd love to ask you, and it seems such an obvious thing in a way, but but what is sustainability? Because to some people it means being green, eco-friendly, environmentally friendly. What What does it actually mean in business terms? So it's all those things and more. It's looking at your social and environmental impact alongside and with equal importance to your financial side. Recognizing that we live on one planet and at the moment we're consuming as if we've got a planet and a half, so we cannot continue doing this. Also recognizing that all businesses employ people, are embedded in society, and within that there are plenty of opportunities for economic activity and generating profit. But once you recognize that, then you're looking at being in that sustainable uh, sphere. If you want to look at it in more detail, you can look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, where they unpack 17 objectives that the world should be aiming to deliver by 2030. So they're a good start at what it means to be sustainable on a very practical level. 
It's really interesting what you say about the commercial element being part of this as well. Is that something you find, Jessica, that maybe when you talk to people about being more sustainable, they don't realise that there's a commercial part of it as well, that it can actually benefit the business? Yes, so I think it's so important to keep the concepts clear from the beginning, and and that happened also with concepts such as uh, innovation. For us, when we started as a company, I came from an industrial background. I I used to work in, in large corporate and uh, I realized that we were not necessarily thinking in how we were engaging at the end users or the community, but as part of our day-to-day definition of the business. So it goes together, engagement of the community as well as the environment. And uh, actually, if we look at the UN Commission 1993, I think it's the best definition that I found which is how we meet the needs of the present without compromising the ability of the future generations to meet their own needs. Shima, if people are showing resistance to becoming more sustainable, what do you tell them? How do you tell people they need to care? So given that I work more in the sphere of starting right and putting sustainability at the heart of your business as you're shaping the idea, I have very happily found that the resistance has been decreasing. So the argument has always been we're living in a time where business as usual doesn't cut it, essentially. Doing no harm is no longer good enough. We live in a world in crisis, whether it's social or environmental, and therefore we all need to pull our weight as individuals and as businesses to create a positive change in this world. And I find that I now just need to say it and people nod their heads, whereas before there was pushback and argument. The struggle or challenge at the moment tends to be, I get very often someone says, I don't have such an impact. You know, what could I possibly do? And therefore spending time unpacking what they're doing and their potential for good is very interesting because it's back to doing no harm just because you're not doing any harm doesn't mean that you don't have potential for great good. And actually, it is such a joy working with businesses when they discover their potential for good. And I worked with one particular business that was an online platform in the food sector, and they said, what can we possibly do? And we unpacked how they could influence how we eat. They could influence food trends, and as a result of that, what farmers produce, the impact on biodiversity. And suddenly they were looking at me and they said, oh my goodness, I think we have a five-year plan that we need to go away and work on. And that's the sort of realization and work that we do. And how can a business do that assessment of itself? Because I think you've picked up on something important there that a lot of people feel so overwhelmed by it all, they don't really know where to start. So is there a way that you can do an audit of your business to see how sustainable it is? I think if you're really starting out, you probably don't need to jump in so headfirst with a full audit if you're doing it on your own. I think you need to look at what you can do and ask yourself Do I need to do this? This is a really basic one and it helps a lot. The whole principle of reduce, reuse, recycle. So your first question is, do I need to do this? Do I need to buy this? And the more you can reduce, the more you can reduce your impact. So do you really need that packaging? Do you need that shop front lit all night? 
Do you need to add stuffing to something that you're sending to your customers? How are you serving your food? How are your employees getting there? Do you need that parking space? So really, do you need X, Y, or Z? If you can reduce it, that's great. In terms of reducing, actually, an interesting point is, do your employees need to be there? I find that certain businesses are obsessed, shall I say, with attendance. But a big reduction of our carbon footprint is if your employees work from home or have flexi time and can travel at less congested times. So it's all these things. It's always, do I really need that? And then what can I reuse? And then what's left over? Then consider recycling it so that the less that ends up in waste or not used is uh, important. So that's a quick and dirty way Mm. of measuring it is always questioning yourself. Another way developed by the group that I work with at the Center for Industrial Sustainability is to start mapping your value. And as businesses, we're typically very good at identifying the value we create. But very few businesses look at the value they've missed. And that's one first step, and particularly when you're talking about sustainability value that you've missed, could be financial, could be social, could be environmental. And when they come together, it becomes you're creating good for the world, but you're also generating extra revenues for yourself. If you're reducing and reusing, you're cutting your costs. I remember one of your first points when you started the show was going, how can you pay for it all? Actually, a lot of the times your cost savings or your added value brings that into the business. But one thing that businesses almost never look at is what value are they destroying? And that's really important when they're looking at social and environmental issues. So if you're buying cheap goods from Southeast Asia, what social value are you destroying? At the same time, you know, if you're buying unsustainable palm oil, for example, what environmental and biodiversity value are you destroying? And that's slightly more complicated. It's a step up from reduce, reuse and recycle, but value mapping, looking at value created, value missed and value destroyed is another important exercise. Jessica, you work particularly in the farming sector and infrastructure. Tell me a bit more about how you help people become more sustainable, how you help them monitor their activity. Well, something really important that Shima mentioned was about remote working, for example. <laughs> I, suffer, I could say I suffer as part of being a large corporate and, and then you think that your contribution is insignificant. But actually you have an impact. When I was working there, I realized that you have a lot of platforms and things overlapping, and that makes really difficult sometimes to see actually the impact that you have inside. So by the that, company. do you mean lots of different devices monitoring exactly the water devices, irrigation and that kind of thing? Um, software, for example, different systems that are helping the company to run without having the full view, the full view of what you are doing inside of the company. Normally, it relates to a lack of infrastructure that can go from one end to the other end. So with uh, CamNexus, we are putting in place end-to-end infrastructure that can help people to take decisions in order to optimize and make efficient use of their resources. And we do this using digital devices and communication infrastructure. And that helps to be remote, which is something that we really need today. So you don't need to send people physically 
to see how the operation is running, for example. Or you don't need necessarily to have a full-time system there that is not connected to the central system. So that is what allows these kind of solutions that are remotely. Can you just give me an example, an example. of a project that's, yes. that's running right now? So, for example, we were just recently awarded an Innovate UK. So actually, today it's been uh, passed the, the final check. It's a project with Brazil. So we are supporting farmers that are producing rice. And one of the key problems is salinity in the water because the irrigation comes from the sea. And actually, they can lose uh, 60% of their production if they cannot control the salinity of the water. We're talking of areas of 30 kilometers, for example. So it makes really difficult to take the sample of the river and then go back to the plantation. So what we're doing with this infrastructure, which I mentioned end-to-end, is they have the capability now to measure in real time how the, the salinity levels are of that water, and then they can predict better when they have to do their plantations and how. And that also has another value, as Shima was mentioning, that you can actually use that water for other things. What we're learning here about what's going on in Brazil, can that also be replicated to other parts of the world? Shima, do you find that um, globally we're all learning from each other? So we can look at that project in Brazil and then apply that to agriculture in East Anglia, for example. Absolutely. And this whole notion of reusing the water, it's back to the reuse things that are not single use, but can then also go into side streams. I mean, just this morning we were talking about orange juice and how you can get orange juice with bits and orange juice without bits. But before, those bits that got taken out of the orange juice would go to waste. But now you get orange juice with extra bits. So that's reusing those side streams. And in food, we really see the side streams. We are now seeing breads that are being made with side streams. So what really the, the leaves and the what's left over in the farm from broccoli and beetroot. And that's making them higher protein and higher performance gluten-free breads. Because for anyone who is gluten intolerant, the breads at the moment are pretty deplorable. But actually in Poland, they've really mm. cracked the gluten-free by using food side streams. And it's that sort of notion. Now, now we could take that from Poland and go anywhere. We could crack water. And we've seen water issues, say, from the sugar industry or how they're reducing it in Africa. And then it comes back into their production facilities in Europe as well. So on the business of Cambridge today, we're talking about sustainability with Dr. Shima Barakat and Dr. Jessica Ocampos. One thing I'm interested in is the is another benefit. So there's so many benefits to sustainability. And one of them that I can see is on company culture as well. Do you think it's a bit of a pull factor when people are deciding where to work? They want to see somewhere that's got a good ethical outlook. I think absolutely. As a university level teacher, I see the next generations coming through and with the millennials particularly, you see that shift where they want to work with purpose. They're not looking for a lifetime of employment, so they're not looking for benefits. If they can afford it, the pay is less significant, but they want to make a difference. And so they're choosing where they can do that. Can they spend two, three years with you 
to drive change, contribute to that, and then move on to the next big thing. It's a challenge for businesses because they don't stay very long. I read some statistics that now the average, you've, you've moved seven times before you're 30. That's quite a trend, but it means that you need to work within that framework and it needs to matter. So the pressure is coming from the customers who want more sustainable products and want to work with businesses with that purpose and heart, really, that's what it boils down to. And millennials and the following ones, I'm not even sure what the next generation is called, that want to work for businesses that do that. Actually, one of the things that's a side benefit of creating that culture, it's not just a generational issue, but women want to work for such companies. And as we open up and there's more of an expectation uh, of women's representation and all of our efforts to close the gender gap with all the economic and equality and ethical imperatives that that carries, actually the more sustainable cultures will attract more and better qualified women. And so, Jessica, your business is in Cambridge, and it strikes me there's a lot of people in this same sector. Is it a, a good place to be running a business like this? Well, Cambridge is a very good place to start a, a company, particularly if you come with a, from a technological background. I come from, from South America, and that's why the connection has been strong there. And I think it's been probably unlikely that I would have done this in Chile, probably, where I come from. When I came here to Cambridge to start my PhD, that was the reason here uh, of being here. I have to be really honest. I didn't know that this was a kind of innovation cluster. I knew the university and the reputation of the university. However, I met key people like Shima, and uh, I discovered that was uh, another path, and that was uh, entrepreneurship. The environment was really supportive. The university, though it's not formally giving you like lectures in entrepreneurship, is a very bottom-up uh, approach on how we developed this kind of uh, initiatives. And uh, you have to find the time. And if you, are, if you want to do it, you will do it. So uh, starting the business came a lot from this environment. And Shima, you work with a lot of exciting innovators in this sort of space. So who have we got under our noses in Cambridge? doing exciting, innovative things. <laughs> there is Entomics, of course, which we're all very proud of, which I think they've been through and uh, touched and been touched by a lot of Cambridge initiatives. And they grow black soldier flies that eat food waste and that in turn can be themselves turned into animal feed at the they moment. they these flies? Just so I know which part of town to avoid. <laughs> oh, on some farm outside Cambridge, so not in outside Cambridge. Cambridge. Okay, yeah, just yeah, making no, they've a got note. a whole <laughs> warehouse type, and yeah, no, they've got their own facilities. Um, but they're a great example of reducing waste and creating a value because also there are great sustainability challenges around farmed fish. So being able to feed fish healthy feeds is really important. They're also working on how their feed can reduce stress in poultry. And so it ticks many boxes. And so if anyone listening to this is starting a business from scratch, what are those priorities that they should put in place about making sure the business is sustainable? As with everything to do with the business, people. You need to make sure your team 
has got the same mindset and values as you are. It doesn't matter how little you know, because you can learn together, but at least you're all pulling in the same direction. And the whole saying is, you you know, you do the best you can now, but you'll do better when you know better. And it's that really continuous improvement that's important. So get the right people in place. Always question, do you need to buy something, do something, use something to make sure you're reducing to the essentials and being creative in your business model with that whole reducing and reusing becomes important. That flexibility with your people becomes key because it allows you to reduce transport, energy, space, the cost. I mean, running a business in Cambridge is hugely expensive if you're looking at floor space. If you can cut that by half or a quarter because you don't need all your people there at the same time, then that's a real business benefit. But at the same time, it also means you have better access to talent because you can reach further with who you need and you can employ women who might need to do the school run or men who may be able to do the school run. But suddenly, just that bit of flexibility offers a world of possibility in terms of expertise and competences. And you find that as you unpack the different aspects of it, all those business benefits grow. And so does your social and environmental value. And Jessica, in your experience from working in so many places around the world, is there anything that you see that is good practice that perhaps people should implement a bit more frequently over in the UK? Well, for example, in, in terms of as, as a company, one of the messages that, that Chima mentioned, yeah, we are working with people internationally. I had the opportunity to start from zero, and I started with the values that we wanted to achieve. So that's what we wanted to build, and this, we, we have this vision. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible to do it when you are in a large company. Actually, several times you have to pass through audit. And if particularly if you're a, a production side facility, you need to have certain levels of uh, standard. Therefore, you, you normally have to do this vision, mission, values every, say, years. Therefore, there's always opportunity to re there's a rebirth for the company. So in our case, as a small company, we learned from these stories from previous large companies, but also from what we learned with different uh, other different places. We have people working in different countries, and that has helped us to create an international culture. Today, more than ever, we are facing extreme challenges and urgencies that we, if we don't tackle as a global community, we actually are, are losing the battle. So we have people that, based on these core values, we have them working in different places. Therefore, it's really important to have good communication. We are always looking for new methods for a, a platform for communicate with them and, and trying to decrease our print. So, and I know in my case, I, I haven't been so successful, but I'm trying to do it. So now I have people going to other places that I cannot, and I prefer to stay here in the UK. We also have a lot of communication support. And I think the most important thing is to involve as early as possible the end user. So we try to talk with all the potential stakeholders of the community or environment that we're going to implement, particularly if 
an infrastructure project. So you need to take all of them on board. We are working with universities and uh, other research uh, organizations internationally because we are creating local capability. Very, very aligned with Chima. Um, last year we have two people, two women uh, working from France and also in London, always remotely. Amazing person. And uh, I would say that we need to be more inclusive in our way of working. So we, we just need to be sure of that. Give the people the confidence. But I always stress the values, where we see ourselves and our vision. Because otherwise, why I don't want to make people uh, waste their time in, in, uh, in something that was not aligned with their expectation. And it's the same for clients. It's the same for suppliers. It's the same for your colleagues. So I would say that that is kind of the, the vision that I see. And just finally, um, Shima, what do you see ahead? What's on the horizon in sustainability? The big things that businesses should be considering at the moment? So I think the big question, as I said, we've got the 17 sustainable development goals that are a really good start that more and more businesses and society are aligned to. So they're coming, people are talking about them, people are working towards them. And you kind of look old fashioned and left behind if you're not fitting in at least with one of the SDGs. But we have a climate crisis, we have a biodiversity crisis, and it's now in our lifetime. Even those of us who now have children, it is no longer our children's problem, but it definitely is our children's problem, but it's also ours. And so in our lifetime, we will see all those challenges and they will face our business. If we're creating businesses that are going to survive, it can no longer be business as usual and therefore challenging the status quo and not accepting anyone saying, oh, well, that's the way we've always done it. Questioning why is it done that way? Can we do better? And where is that potential to capture the missed values? Always looking for the missed value and creating more value that drives that positive change. So there's a real opportunity here to make positive change for the future, isn't there? So thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Shima Barakat from the University of Cambridge and Dr. Jessica Ocampos from CamNexus. And that's the end of Series 1 of the Business of Cambridge. Join me again soon for Series 2. If you'd like to catch up with any of the previous episodes in this series, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify or wherever you find your online audio. And of course, today's show is on the Cambridge 105 Radio website too. The previous topics were networking, growth, the workplace, branding, retail, teamworking, digital innovation and money and all the shows feature real experiences and real advice from the business community in Cambridge. Production is by Trevor Dan and the TDC team. The theme music is Giants by Magnus Moon and the presenter is Sue Keogh. Series 2 of the Business of Cambridge should be with you in the autumn of 2020.